Stop! You violated the law. It's the full preview podcast. USC 289. What's up, everyone? It's your boy Fenio for the second time during this week, and we're here for the full preview. So, we have a pay per view. It is UFC 289, headlined by Amanda Nunez against Irene Aldana. It's kind of a, of a mid card, uh, some, some interesting fights. I think it's the card is very well matched, but it is lacking some some more high-level fighters, I would say, especially for a pay-per-view. But at least the fights are interesting. So it comes to uh, Nunez, who very dominant champion until he lost her her title to Juli- Juliana Peña. And then regained it. They were supposed to have a third fight, but Peña got injured. Uh, it was pretty clear that uh, neither Nunez or or Peña wanted to fight Aldana. Uh, Nunez said that Peña had to fight Aldana to get a, a title shot. And Peña said that she was not fighting anyone that that was not Amanda Nunez. So, but at the end of the, of the day, we have this fight. I think it's a better fight, to be honest, than the second one. I mean, a third encounter between Peña and Nunez. I think it was, it was pretty clear that Nunez was going to win the third one. Unless, like, Peña learned how to jab from Southpaw or something, <laughs> who knows. But yeah, we have... It's only 11 fights this time. Uh, I think the most of the of the previous pay-per-views had, like, 13. Most of the time, not all 13 made it to the fight night, but... But yeah, I mean, it's a little bit less fights. Uh, so, let's get into it. We're going by topology as usual, from bottom to top. I tried to go a bit quicker this time than other times. I'm not feeling very well, I'm a bit sick today, so yeah, let's go. Uh, the opener of the prelims is a strawweight bout between Diana Balbita and Maria Oliveira. Balbita is a decently athletic kickboxer. She has good mechanics, operates mostly behind a 1-2, likes to step into combinations, Carries good power in her right hand, and she can throw it straight or as an overhand. Uh, setting up leg kicks with hand fighting, plus uh, the straight right and the left hook to the body add variety to their game, and help her with not getting too predictable. She's good at punishing retreats with long strikes and kicks on all three levels, especially sneaky with high kick when fighters are retreating on a straight line. She has decent enough takedown defense and works to get her back to the fence immediately after being taken down, so that's good. Uh, her conditioning is good, and also is her shin. Her biggest flaw, I would say, flaws are the lack of long-time setups. Uh, like, you can tell she just thinks like inside combinations. She's not like building up something during the progress of the fight. And... And the defense, her, her defense mostly relies on her high guard and distant management, not a lot in the weight of, of pivots or hip movement. So she usually eats counters if she stays in the pocket for too long. 
she's a decent scrambler when it comes to get back to her feet, but also can be controlled and attacked with ground and pound if she settles in position. On the other hand, we have Oliveira. She's a crazy girl. Uh, she's athletic, uh, but very wild as a striker. She either matches forward behind big combinations with little regards to defense. A white hook, big kicks, flying knees are all usually part of the menu. Uh, has no trouble marching with flurries of one twos, like throwing like six straight punches if her opponents are covering up, covering up or backing up. But she also likes to like circle on the outside to take breaks from the action, and she's not as good when she's doing that. She's not a technical counter puncher, but she throws back hard and with volume, and that's a good quality that she has. She has good cardio, and she's very tough and has a very good chin. So, as I would say, Belbita is technically superior. But Oliveira has a better feeling for fighting, if you if you get what I mean. You can tell she feels more comfortable. Despite being like, uh, Oliveira fights with a lot of like nervous energy, but you can tell she she's at peace with that, I would say. Uh, both girls are well equipped to exploit the weakness of the other here. Bobita is a bigger hitter than most, and that would, uh, that maybe he, has the potential to surprise Oliveira that it's used to being like the only girl that hits hard inside the cage. Um, but it also has the mechanical tightness and variety to exploit Oliveira's poor defense. And on the other hand, Oliveira throws a lot of powerful volume and, uh, and that can catch Bobita as she tends to be like raw uh, and one note in the pocket. I think this one is a very hard one to predict. It feels like Oliveira endurance and toughness would get the job done, but I don't know, man. I'm I'm picking Belvita here to land cleaner and just do more damage because uh, of having better mechanics with her striking. So I'm picking Belvita to win a decision on this. Next one should be good. It's uh, a flyweight fight between ranked uh, fighter David Borak against Steve Ersek. So Borak. Uh, he does his best work as a pressuring counterpuncher. He's uh, right hand oriented. He can set it up on the lead with a jab, double jab, and he's constant. He's constantly fading with both uh, the hands and the level change. On the counter, he can slip to the inside uh, of jab to left cross counters or to the outside of both the jab or the right hand to come back with the right hand off the slip. He can throw with a stride overhand and also as a tight hook in close quarters. And he also like often closes the door with the left hook during combinations. So he has like a pretty well-rounded boxing game when it comes to, to striking in the pocket. Uh, st very strong leg kicks complete his standard game. And he's a decently strong wrestler. Uh, he's hard to take down. And he has, he has surprised with shot takedowns, but also have options in the clinch. Especially with trips and swimming to the back, he's pretty good at that. He's a good scrambler and is particularly dangerous when he gets to take the back because he's a very good finisher with the rear naked choke. On the other hand, we have Ersek. Uh, he's la lanky and an upright striker on the feet. He has pretty quick hands and puts tight combinations together. Uh, suspect defense on the retreat, I would say. Um, he has the idea of circling out of exchanges, but he keeps his chin pretty up in the air. Uh, he's a smothering clincher, he's constantly looking for body locks to get takedowns and he's also like pretty decent at landing knees, especially from, from over-unders while he's pummeling. On the, on the ground is where Ersek shines the most, uh, he's a dynamic and dangerous scrambler. 
He can find uh, front chokes or the back from a number of positions. He's very tricky with that and very good at using his length to get to those positions. And he's good finisher with submissions with front chokes. Uh, he has guillotines, darts, anacondas, and the rear naked choke is also very solid. Uh, I, uh, that said, I feel Erseg is on test against this level of, of opposition. Uh, the Borag has the combinations of size, athleticism, and technical skill that are, are all above what Erseg has been seen on the regional scene in Australia. Uh, but I think Erseg looks UFC ready. Uh, he's a big, long flyweight, has pop in his hands, has speed, and he has a sprinting, scrambling style that is well suited for the flyweight division. He, he can control, but he has these like quick transitions into submissions that are very useful in a division where everyone is a competent scrambler. Uh, he could surprise, especially because Dvorak hasn't been looking very inspiring lately. I mean, he looked alright in the Matthews fight, but the the cap fight was a uh, was very sketchy. Like doing the the out fighting without doing much it was a bit sus, if you ask me. But I don't know. I still gotta pick uh, pick the Borak here. Uh, we haven't seen Ursa Astro Boy deal with someone like the Undertaker. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I'm picking the Borak by decision here. But this one should be a good one. Next fight is featherweight. We have Blake Builder versus Kyle Nelson. So Builder, athletic, big power, can move off the outside and close distance with big movements. Or he can just like push forwards behind combinations. He likes to unload combos against the cage if he gets the opponent covering up. Uh, during his last fight, he showed an improvability to fight more measured and not throw everything 100%. And I think that's a step in the right direction for him. He's an opportunistic wrestler and grappler, uh, somewhat of a back-take specialist, this builder. Uh, very sneaky, uh, taking the back during scrambles. Uh, and he looks for that like in any scramble. And if he gets to the back, he's not like uh, a deadly finisher with the rear naked choke, even though he's pretty good. But he can eat up whole rounds there because his back control is very solid. For defense, he mostly relies on his distance and a high guard and can hide behind his shoulders, especially after the left hook, so that's that's good. He moves his head decently well on the outside, but once he is, gets into like uh, exchanges with the hands, uh, the head can stay on the center line. And other of his problems is that when he extends combinations, he can square his feet, so he can be vulnerable to get hit by a big counterpuncher. His opponent is Kyle Nelson, the monster. Uh, he's a dynamic and powerful, but Stiff striker. He fights behind a hard guard, marching down opponents, looking to find counters or big kicks. Uh, he has a pretty tricky lead round kick to the body, somewhat of a, like a pendulum kick, not much of a switch kick. And, and he has a wide left hook that is also especially of note. He so an, an orthodox fighter that is pretty dangerous from the from the left side, but he also has the the big old overhand right, especially on the counter. Uh, Nelson is physically strong and often pushes for the clinch where he can try for body lock trips or drop to the legs to finish double legs. Um, he's a pretty decent wrestler, has good finishes. The problem is that he doesn't have great control on the floor, but he can find the back and threaten with the rear naked choke. And also he's dangerous with strikes on transitions. Uh, he's good with elbows and knees during clinch breaks as well. 
He's so, the problem with Nelson is that his own grappling can get him tired and he doesn't have a lot of options defensively. Uh, he's mostly a front runner. He needs to do well early, establish momentum or get the finish. Or he starts, he starts like falling apart as fight goes on. Uh, barring an early finish by Nelson, which is almost always possible because he is a very big hitter and dynamic and decent on the offense. Very good. I mean... Decent or very good? Come on, dude. Yeah. Make up your mind, but <laughs> you know what I mean. I think this fight comes down to Builder having better endurance and a mobile style that will probably frustrate Nelson. You know, Builder circles on the outside, moves on with the big punches, circles again, and he can do that like all night. Also, Builder, a uh, comparable athlete to, to Nelson, so... So, I don't know. It, to me, it seems hard to imagine Nelson out grappling Builder even early in the fight. Uh, so the pick here is Builder by decision. Next fight is at Bantamweight, the good division. We have Ayman Sahabi versus Aurichi Lang. So Sahabi, a well-rounded MMA native, you know, he's the brother of Fira Sahabi, the, the coach, mo mostly of note by being the coach of GSP during his whole career. Uh, so Ayman, He's good at all kinds of transitions, clinch to strikes, strikes to takedowns, etc. On the feet, he's at his best when he's getting to set up his right hand with his jab in neutral space. His defense is mostly based on an active high guard and he's pretty good at that. And also like he's very conscious about exiting exchanges on angles. Uh, but if you figure out his hand positioning with his high guard, uh, you can find strikes on him. Uh, and he moves his head, but he, uh, he's not like having a a, uh, a well-built system around moving his head. He's mostly about like evading a strike and then defaulting to a high guard. And nothing, nothing wrong with that. Like that's a style that can can work pretty well, but it, it has its, its downsides uh, as everything in MMA. Uh, he's not very controlling as a wrestler, but he can find tricky tri takedowns during exchanges, uh, especially reactive takedowns. Uh, very solid position at BJJ, but he needs to serve a position to make the most of it. Uh, if you get an opponent that is very good at immediately moving and scrambling his way to the feet, uh, he can be countered that way. I would say the biggest flaw for Sahabi is uh, his inability to pressure and his tendency to throw like low volume. He's a little bit picky with his shots. And on the other hand, we have Aurishi Lang, a powerful stiff kickboxer. Uh, and what comes to what pops in the eye is that he has the the mechanics of his punching is are very tight. Uh, he says his best as a counter puncher. Uh, good at timing right hands on entries and clipping disengaging opposition with the left hook. So he has like a different role for both punches there. At open space, he works the body and the legs, uh, be it with the left hook to the body, the leg kicks, and puts the combinations pretty well. Puts combination together pretty well. He's physically strong, uh, and despite like him being on the lanky side for 135, and he's a former flyweight, but he looks pretty strong physically here. Uh, so he was probably like super skinny. I, I know I've seen him fight at, at flyweight before, but I don't really remember. Uh, his first layer of takedown defense is pretty good, but he can be put down in transitions or with chain wrestling, like the, the depth of his wrestling is not all there. 
there's not much depth to his grappling either, but he works very responsibly to get back to his feet. You can tell he was, he drills certain escapes from a lot of positions and he works to do that work, especially scooting his, scooting his box back to the face and walking on, working on wall walking or trying to get up from catching the, the opposite side underhook from, from half guard. Uh, the conditioning can be lacking, even when fighting at the pace that he wants, I've seen him like get tired in the third round numerous times. The path to victory for Sahabi should be grappling here, uh, finding takedowns in transitions, controlling position, and find ground and pound uh, submission attempts. The problem for Sahabi here is that uh, he's outgunned in his preferred range, like he likes this like slow pace, uh, neutral, neutral space boxing matches. Uh, originally is like tighter mechanically there, has bigger power. And um, Sahabi has a problem like pushing a pace that should be key on winning this fight because that has been the biggest problem for the Chinese fighter. Uh, very close and interesting matchup, but uh, I'm picking Aurishi Leng to catch a knockout on the second round. And with that, we move to a flyweight, women's flyweight bout between Jasmine Jasuda Vicious and Miranda Maverick. Jasuda Vicious, a green clinch wrestler, she pushes forward on the feet, looking to land her right hand and fill the gap with kicks. Until he finds a clinch entry, she can fight them both proactively, dropping levels or uh, reactively uh, ducking down against a right hand or something like that. From there, she immediately pushes to the fence where she works for trips from the body lock. She has good elbows on the break if her clinch are denied. And once she gets on on top, she has moderate top control with good passes, can land steady ground pound. If she gets to a dominant position, especially of note, uh, her mount is pretty strong and she has uh, a very good crucifix as well. She's well conditioned and very tough. The biggest problem for Jessica Vicious is that uh, she lacks versatility to her wrestling. Uh, she's not good at tuning to the legs at all and her defense on the feet is pretty shallow. And on the other hand, we have Maverick. She's athletic and compact, active on the feet, closing distance with big strikes and volume. She's a decent kicker. Uh, she's good with transitions, strong in the clinch, good at finishing leg attack takedowns, solid grappler aided by her strength, very heavy from top position, and she's so able to scramble if put on her back. Her striking, I would say, lacks direction as she likes setups to like the big strikes that she wants and relies mostly on volume and aggression to get things done on the feet. And, and she can pu be put on the defensive in grappling exchanges, um, especially by like high level grapplers and she can lose time by that. She's pretty responsibly with defending submissions, uh, but if you deny like the initial quick pace scramble, it can take her a while to get back to her feet and she can lose time like that. So the question here is for, for Maverick, will this be like the Blanchfield fight or the, or the Robertson fight? I think uh, the, the later is more likely as Maverick looks to have a pretty big edge in, in both the striking and athleticism in this fight. That said, that's the vicious uh, has in her favor that she tries to fight her fight and maybe he can like drag eventually Maverick to the ground. And in this one, I think when it comes to grappling, it's whoever's, whoever ends up in top position will, will dominate, uh, I would 
I would think. I'm trusting here Maverick dynamism, strength, and better transitions. And I think she wins a decision in this. And with that, we move to our feature prelim. It's a middleweight bout between Nasruddin Imavov versus Chris Curtis. Imavov, very long, bouncy kickboxer, good speed and distance management. He can lead and counter as long as he can maintain a long distance. He can quickly blitz inside with combinations or he can step back in an angle looking for a right hand or left hook counter. He's a serviceable kicker at distance but doesn't have a lot hold of depth to his kicking game but he kicks hard and quick and can find openings with that. He's a decent wrestler and works hard to get back to his feet if he gets taken down. Uh, pretty strong in the clinch and can surprise with knees and, knees and elbows. Uh, Curtis on the other hand Crafty southpaw boxer, very picky with his shots, uh, counter punches a lot, has good variety and punch selection and can fill the gaps with solid kicks, he has good defense, makes use of a high guard, slips and footwork to evade longer combinations so he has a bit of a of a liar defensive system going on. He, he mostly likes to counter early in exchanges, he mostly wants to like slip one shot or cover up for one two shots and get back with the counter immediately. He doesn't like to get into these very prolonged exchanges. Uh, and he has very good same time counters and he's also good at catching kicks and coming, with, coming back with counters, be it with kicks or punches. Uh, he has bulletproof takedown defense, he's good at finding grips, heavy hips and fits the single to limp leg out of shots. The biggest flaw for, for Curtis is that other than his low volume a lot of the time is his need to always uh, having to set his feet for exchanges as we saw in the Hermanson fight if the opponent is circling out he doesn't feel comfortable like he can cut the cage but he's not uh, he's not at ease with cutting the cage and striking at the same time he wants you he wants to have you in front of him before uh, initiating an exchange. Uh, so he can be moving into shots or frustrated with lateral movement. This is an interesting matchup at 185. Mavov is mobile, but not exactly the kind of mover on the outside that usually frustrates Curtis, especially because Mavov is a lot more about moving in and out than circling and moving people into shots. But the thing with Mavov is he's long, and he could try his hand at that kind of game plan, you never know. Uh, Curtis pickiness here could cost him because he needs to match the volume of Imavov to win this one as Imavov is a pretty big hitter himself, so it's not likely that Curtis is going to win this one landing like five good sh shots around. Uh, the thing for Curtis is that his counter seems to match up well with Imavov's style, especially when he can intercept him when he goes inside. Imavov's defense is not great in the pocket. Uh, he he tends to hang his, his shin up in the air. And the body is therefore taking for Curtis on this one. Uh, I think Curtis has all the tools to win this one, but just based on volume, I'm picking Imavov to win a decision. Before moving on to the main card, I want to remind you guys that this podcast and the fight site in general are brought to you by X Marshall. X Martial is a combat sport brand dedicated to supporting the Jiu-Jitsu community. Their goal is to create a fun training environment with unique and exciting designs and promote the gym culture we all love. X Martial offers a range of products including rash guards, shorts, spats, geese, streetwear and training equipment. Use code THEFIGHTSITE 
to get a 15% discount on your order now. That's the fight side, no spaces, all uppercases. So remember the fight side for a 15% discount on your order at xmarshall.com. And find them in their social media. They're in all of them under the same handle. It's at xmarshalofficial. So thank you xmarshall for sponsoring this podcast. And we move on. We stay at middleweight for the opener of the main card. It's about between Eric's Jaboy Anders and Marc-Andre Barriol, the power bar. So Anders, powerful but slow-paced, uh, applauding southpaw. He's at his best when he's moving forwards, putting combinations together with his hands. He likes to push into the clinch where he's physically strong but not a particularly effective wrestler, even though he can finish a double leg if he gets to the hips. He's good at finding strikes in transition, during clinch breaks, and while opponents are working their way up to their feet. His combination punching is hit and miss, sometimes it's look well put together, other times he's very one-dimensional with his left hand. Cardio is always a question mark with Anders, uh, sometimes it's look okay, sometimes it looks straight up bad. Uh, he has good chin and he's very tough. And Barriolt, his opponent, Steady pressure is the name of the game for this guy. He looks to either fight behind the jab or shake hands to land the left hook or right hands. Uh, he has a pretty good amount of variety to keep the opponent guessing uh, with the little stand changes, shifts, kicks to all three levels. Of notice, the snap kick to the body that plays very well into his game because as a pressurer he wants to make his opponent tired. He's very aggressive in the clinch with knees and especially with elbows and uppercuts. Uh, very good uppercuts from single collar ties. And he can and he pushes for the clinch uh, against the against the fence and also in open space. Borrell can be taken down uh, if surprised, but he has pretty decent defensive grappling and a good sprawl that he gets on point when the pressure in his like taking over during fights. Uh, in this fight, Anders always has the chance of finishing or taking over early because he has a pretty decent athletic edge in this one. But it seems unlikely that he'll be able to bully Borealt in the clinch. Uh, I think uh, Borealt, even if not as strong or big as, as Anders, is uh, a bit more skilled there and way more aggressive. Borealt can compete with Anders everywhere and he can push a way higher pace. Um, other than like singular dynamic moments, uh, he's a more damaging fighter overall. He's landing nasty shots. He looks to put on damage other than just the pace. So I think Boreal wins a decision on this one. By the way, why is why is this on the main card? I mean, it should be okay thanks to Boreal, but but the previous fight was a lot better. But I, I guess they wanted to put some names on the on the prelims. I guess I don't know. And with that, we move to the next bout, and this one should be all action. It's 50k Daniga versus Nate the Train Landwehr. This one should be exciting. So eager, stocky, athletic, and well-rounded. An orthodox, but has a lot of tricks involving switches, especially to set up strikes from the left side. Uh, you know, the uh, swinging left hook from the rear side or big left kicks. He's dangerous in the pocket with tight hooks and big power. At open space, uh, he's doing well either pressuring or creating exchanges in a neutral space. He is some, somewhat of a boxer puncher, I would describe him as. Uh, with Ige, the, the problem is that the lack of a layer 
Lager jab means he sometimes has trouble maintaining a steady pace and closing distance against longer and more mobile opponents. He's, pre he's pretty good at setting up takedowns in open space with the striking threat. And he can also grind for singles or doubles against the cage. Uh, he's pretty good at transitions offensively. And, but he can be surprised by change of pace by his opponents. Uh, he's not as well a, as adapting to the change of faces when it's the opponent pushing for them. And on the other hand, we have Landwehr, uh, lanky all-rounder. He's all about steady pace and accumulating damage. Uh, from open space, he fights very long uh, with front kicks and a stiff jab and fights behind a very high guard. So maybe the body is there for the taking. Uh, his head can be a bit too on the center line at distance, but if he gets in the pocket, he can move it uh, decently enough. He has like the, the reverse. Most MMA fighters that move their head like of one note at distance and then get in the pocket and get stationary. <laughs> Landwehr is like the reverse of that. Uh, for a lucky guy, he has surprisingly tight, tight hooks and a good eye for counters on the inside. He's also pretty well versed in the clinch. Uh, he has collar ties, head and, arm, head and arm clutches, body locks, and he can find like uh, strikes there or takedowns. He's especially good during transitions, attacking retreating opponents with kicks, uh, sneaky high kicks, catching elbows and knees during clinch breaks if the opponent stays close. And he's a solid defensive wrestler, uh, wrestler with a good submission game, and mostly based around the back takes and the front chokes. Uh, this is an interesting fight between well-rounded fighters, uh, but the, they have very different approaches. Landwehr is hitable at distance, and Nige can close distance quickly with big and tricky strikes. But Nate the Train is tough, man. Uh, he has a style that wears on people. Iggy's cardio has looked just fine throughout his career, and has fought well even when like noticeably tired over five rounds. So it, this one is really a duel between Ige's big, mo big moments versus Langwer's steady damage. This one is a lot closer than I thought before watching tape. I thought like obviously Ige is going to win this one, but but man, like Langwer may be worse on him with the with the long striking and I don't know, man. It's it's very close, but I think I'm still going with Ige just because he's more proven against top level opposition. Langwer has still been seeing like sketchy moments in every fight against lesser opposition. But I don't know, man. Langwer is, is game if it, if it goes late. I'm not counting on Onige on getting like super tired, but Langwer can take over fights. So if it goes long, it can go either way, but I'm taking my chance and I'm picking, I'm picking Ige by a second round knockout. Another head scratcher is the next one for me at least. It's a welterweight bout between Mike Malot and Adam Fugit. Uh, this one is probably going to be good in the action sense, but I still don't get how this is main card. Uh, like they really did not get a lot of ranked fighters here in this card, but at least should be fun. Uh, so Mike Malot, athletic, big action based striker. He likes to close distance with short combinations, looking to set up one big strike. He has big body kicks and thudding right hands. He often sw uh, switches stances to close distance, and he's dangerous as, as a counter puncher, mostly, be mostly because he throws back hard and has good mechanics in his hooks from both sides, the right and the left. 
decent management and footwork are both decent, but there's not a there's not a lot much else in the way of defense. He's decently strong in the clinch and can find trips from there and can shoot like serviceable takedowns of his own to the legs. He's a uh, an alpha male guy after all. Uh, once on the mat, he's a very opportunistic grappler. Uh, in transitions, he can find a uh, multiple number of shocks and if he gets to top position, he has very heavy top pressure, good passes, uh, look very good from uh, smashing passes from half guard to, to mount. And, but yeah, I mean, but mostly dangerous with the submissions that he's thing on the ground. Uh, his opponent is Fugit. I would describe as a tense, powerful kicker from open space uh, with decent straight punches. He's not much of a boxer, but uh, the, the hands are pretty heavy. He's not afraid of spam what's working well on the feet, and that's a good quality always. And he's very tough, and he's decently well-conditioned for the power that he puts into most shots. Like, he fights very tense. You would expect him to, to get tired a lot earlier than he does. His head movement is lacking. And he can be tagged uh, at close uh, when he's closing distance or during prolonged uh, pocket exchanges. Fugit a pretty decent wrestler, especially timing entries and the counter. And has also like a suffocating body lock game with very good mad returns, especially if he gets to swim to your back. And uh, he's also good at landing strikes during transitions. And uh, he has huge ground and pound if he settles in a good position. Even like half guard, he's very dangerous. Um, so when it comes to the result of this fight, uh, I think unless Malot has like bad cardio and can can't get out, it out there early, I think he has the edge on this one, especially because he has tighter hands in close quarters. And both guys should be content to exchange big strikes in open space here. And while either of them could get caught Thanks to their suspect defense, I think Malot has better footwork and counters than Fugit does. Fugit has paths to victory, especially if he can establish top position without getting reversed. But I don't know, I'm picking Malot by a first round knockout on here. And with that, we are at the co-main event. Three rounds at lightweight, Charles to Bronx Oliveira, former champion against Benil Darius that should be fighting for the title already, if we're honest here. But it's this one is the good fight of the card. You know both these guys, I won't be describing them. So here Oliveira gets to face yet another southpaw that won't be afraid of grappling with him, as it was the case with current champion Islam Mahachev. Darius is not as strong of a wrestler as Mahachev, obviously. And has junkier mechanics on the feet, especially on the first layer. And you know, Mahashev like falls apart when he has to put strikes together. But I would say he's a more comfortable striker overall, especially during exchanges uh, in comparison to Islam. Oliveira has had trouble with Sopos, historically seen left hands as he got dropped like by Tamer on the pass, by Dustin Poirier. But he also got surprised by the right hook in his last fight, so keep an eye on that one. It would be interesting to see how the clinch plays out because Darius is pretty strong there, good dirty boxing, and also has the threat of dropping levels to look for takedowns on the legs. Oliveira obviously incredibly dangerous with knees and elbows in the clinch, uh, has a very good language of grips there. 
to Bronx, obviously a powerful kicker. But I think Darius might be the most comfortable one of the two uh, kicking at long range, given the, the open stance matchup. I think Benny needs to be careful with his level changes here if he is going to push for takedowns. Because Oliveira, you know, other than this, Oliveira has solid takedown defense, but also uh, he has the knees and the front chokes. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, Oliveira has good takedown defense when he wants to defend takedowns. Most of the time he doesn't, like, really care. He goes for the damage with the knees or plays his cards with a submission attempt. But he's very dangerous with both. So if if Benny gets predictable with those, he, he could get into trouble. From top position, though, Darush is one of the few fighters in, at lightweight that I can count to stay on top of the Bronx and land consistent ground and pound. Not only that, but he can also punish Oliveira if he gets too reckless of his back. Because, you know, sometimes, like, uh, Charles goes go crazy with the elbows and the submission attempts. And maybe that's where where Benil puts his his top quality passing game to use. Oliveira is dynamic and dangerous in every phase of the game, so I don't think anyone would be surprised if he catches a finish either on the feet or on the ground. And we've seen Darius get caught before, right? Like either by a hot star by Hernandez on when he got predictable with his entries against Barbosa with the knee. And on the other hand, Oliveira himself has been submitted four times in his career. Um, and Darius might not be as dynamic, but certainly has the skill to scramble with the best grapplers of the division, as shown in his wins over Carlos Diego Ferreira and Gambrot. And there, it was his grip fighting and his fundamental wrestling that were crucial to his victory. And that would be very interesting here. I mean, Oliveira mostly... Uh, Mostly a clinch-based uh, clinch wrestler, but maybe like Darius can bring the, the grip fighting to the clinch here to deny those takedowns. So Charles Bronx has the dynamism, the technical skill in every phase to get Darius out of there. But I don't know, man. I think the matchup favors the, um, the Iranian fighter here. I mean, Benny is riding with momentum, confidence, and comes into the fight with less wear and tear than, than the Brazilian. And, and also, like, Dubronx is only one year younger than, than, than Benny and with a lot more fights, so, so don't know, man. The, my final pick here is Darius by decision. And with that, we find ourselves at the main event. It's Amanda Nunez versus Irene Aldana. Five rounds. Mantamweight championship on the line. I think this fight comes down to a few particular factors. Uh, I think three questions mainly. Uh, where is Nunez in her career right now? How does her gas tank hold up at this stage of her of her career if she's forced to wrestle continuously? And how good the preparation of Aldana will be? I think it's safe to say that Nunez is like out of her prime. Uh, which could not mean as much because she's one of the most gifted athletes we've seen in the sport, especially in women's MMA. But as we saw in the first Peña fight, she can still fall apart as she did early in her career. And that's more likely to, to like show again the longer she keeps on fighting. Aldana is not a strong defensive wrestler, but she has solid enough jiu-jitsu to defend herself. 
And that's reflected on her record. She has never been submitted despite being like the striker uh, on basically all the matchups of her career. And he fa she fights in a division that is, in a division and a meta that it's, that for a long time has mostly revolved ar around grappling. The, the striking matchup is interesting here. Uh, Aldana might not have the, the overall finesse that someone like Germain Durandami, who troubled uh, Nunez with striking in the, in the rematch for the title, but she does possess length, power, and good combination boxing, and within all of those elements like trouble, Nunez, even if for small moments here and there. Nunez herself obviously has immense power, uh, herself, I, I'm not sure if I said himself, whatever. Uh, and while Nunez is not a technical kicker, she kicks hard, she's quick, and has shown the discipline to kick effectively before in her career. The X factor here is the preparation. Uh, I think tactically, uh, Lobo Jim gave a very good account for themselves in their last title fight. Uh, as Irena's teammate Alexa Grasso dethroned uh, the other women's gold contender in Valentina Shevchenko. The strategy, I think, might not have been the best as Alexa lost long portions of that fight, but they did show a good eye for tactical preparation, and I think that will be key here for Irene, especially when it comes to defending takedowns and punishing some of the defensive habits that Amanda has on the feet. So... You know Irene will will probably show in top form for this one. And Lobo Jim did a good job preparing a fighter for that in, in their last opportunity. Uh, but the final thing here is that I feel Irene will still need to make some strategic decisions. She cannot come into the fight like just vibing. I think the most important one here is that she needs to take risks and walk through the fire. It is unlikely that she will win a slow kickboxing battle in open space because Nunez is quicker. Uh, she, he, she hits just as hard as Aldana, maybe probably harder. And uh, she's more mobile. So Aldana here needs to push the pace, punish the habits, make the champ work, get her to her combination punching and then find her, her trademark left hook. Will she do it? I don't know, but... Oh no, I'm, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. To be honest, uh, I feel like Aldana has the tools to be danger for for Nunez on the on the feet. I think she can survive on the ground. Nunez not that effective of a wrestler, uh, especially if she doesn't have like the huge uh, striking advantage. This one should be close. It, it depends a lot on Nunez not being at her best, I think, but also in in Aldana showing up very well prepared. So I'm taking a lot of gambles here, but. I'm picking Aldana by a third round knockout. I'm choosing the opposite here. And with that, we have the card. It's all right on the mid side, I would say. Uh, so fights to look forward to. I would say the Borak versus Ersek would be fun. Uh, Builder versus Nelson should be okay. Uh, Bantamweight as usual. You always go to Bantamweight. Uh, Imabo versus Chris Curtis should be good. And then the main card is not the most notable, but they all should be fun fights for the most part. Uh, especially of note, obviously, is the is Danige versus Lane Landwehr. That one probably going to be fight of the night. If not, Charles Oliveira versus Benito Darius. That is obviously the 
the highest level of MMA that you will see on Saturday. And yeah, that's it. That's the card. Uh, not the best, but it sh should be watchable. Especially for, for guys like me that are not paying full price for this shit. But yeah. Uh, I'll see you guys on Monday, I guess, for the yearly premiums podcast. So I'll, I will be recapping the, the event. You can always reach out to me on Twitter at FenoXSky. Remember to support the fight side. Just share our stuff, tell a friend. And also, if you have an extra buck laying there, support us on Patreon. You can get access to our Discord server. Very cool people there. And also a lot of exclusive content, uh, exclusive videos, alternate commentaries, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, check out the fight side, thefightside.com. I'm just rambling right now. I'll catch you guys on the next one. Bye.